Hello world. I hope you have had a pleasant new year and I hope that the year 2021 is the year that we begin to work with the silver lining of the dark cloud of 2020. There is a very low bar set that 2021 has to be better than 2020 and this recording I have um, was done a little while ago and I'm very, my life is busy and my soul is lazy and I haven't uploaded it yet, but it's a good idea to upload it today as this could be a perfect podcast to begin the year with. It's very motivational, very profound, very much about life and what you want to do with your time on this planet. Where is your place in this universe? So today I have an interview for you, Harley Quinn Grimm. That is his legal name as well, which I thought was really cool and we touched on that in in the episode. Um, it's a very uh, profound podcast, a very awesome way of thinking. Um, and I just hope you, you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it, as much as I enjoyed recording it. I don't know why I paused then. Um, but anyway, without any further ado, please welcome Harley Quinn Grimm. Harley Quinn, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. How are we today? Oh, we're excellent. We're doing good. Good, good. Um, so let's um, start by telling a little bit about yourself, um, what you do, and uh, I suppose how you got into um, doing what you do. Yeah. Well, so I'm a, I'm a writer and a podcast producer and i guess on the side i do a lot of circus arts and those things all kind of feed into each other but when it comes to the the writing and the podcasting i've been writing stories for uh, around six years or so and i decided that uh, as i got older when i was thinking about trying to publish a book and everything that i i wanted to have uh, a project that I can interact with people more regularly and more importantly have a platform where were I to publish a book that I could actually you know get people interested in and sell it to them so I decided to start a, a podcast basically about history and the horror stories that history has so it became this ongoing thing and then I started to fall in love with it and uh, the project is called mania and uh, essentially what it looks to do is is pick up villains and antagonists throughout history and try to cast them in a, a more forgiving light and just tell stories from their perspective. Wow. Um, that's, uh, that's very interesting that you like to, um, like you said, a forgiving perspective um, on uh, villains and protagonists throughout history. Um, so I suppose what's the, um, what's, what's the, when you, when you write about these villains from their perspective, what is it that you try to do for them? Is it a backstory or, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think also just even just being inside their head kind of in the moment of whatever they're doing, maybe they're 
murdering someone, maybe they're stealing something or deceiving somebody else. Um, I think a lot of the evil things people do, if you're, if you can call it that often come out of feelings of deep insecurity or a longing to fit into the world or to, to truly be themselves or a deep confusion even, or maybe a, a misplaced conviction. Uh, a lot of people who do bad things don't think they're the villain. You know, they don't think they're doing something bad necessarily. And oftentimes the reasons why they're doing it have a perfect logical sequence to them. It just seems insane to us normal, not evil people because um, our logic is just a bit different. But to them, it's still logical sometimes. And I think, of, yeah. of course, there's a, like some rare cases where that's just not the case but i think most people there's a like there's a degree of empathy we can give them and then we can see just how human they are wow so like um so these people i suppose they they believe that they're the ones that are being misunderstood um, and they yeah and i would i would su suspect that they are often yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and would you I mind if I give you an example to, to illustrate this? Sure, yeah. So the, the latest episode I did was on a, a painter whose name is Richard Dad, And he was a an incredible, incredible painter in the mid-1800s. And he had a very promising career that was that was basically displayed from his early adolescence into his early adulthood. It was clear that he was going to be, you know, one of the best painters, or at least amongst the best. And then he killed his father and oh. almost killed a stranger. And the reason why he was killed that his by father. An accident? No, no, it was on it was completely on purpose. And the reason why he killed his father is because he thought that the the devil resided in him. And so despite his brilliance as a student and as a painter, and a clear, you know, excellent intellect did something that was pretty horrible but we have to know that what went on in one of his brain um, was correlated to his paranoid schizophrenia which started to blossom at that age of around uh, 20 so it's easy to say how a son who kills his father is an evil person but you know with just a little bit more consideration we can see that it's clearly the fault of a mental illness and that you know despite that he's still a wonderful painter and a wonderful contribution to society so long as he's able to be uh, i guess um kept from endangering other people yeah um i i like that um a lot and uh I like that it shines a light on mental health, which which um, is very important in today's um, in today's times. I mean, it always has been, but especially now more than ever, we need to think about mental health um, a lot more. Um, I can't remember the point I was about to <laughs> make. I was uh, I, I had a follow up question. Mm -hmm um to that um i think it was um 
so if somebody is schizophrenic and uh, therefore to the point that they're a danger to society i suppose there's um we have to look into our moral compasses because um there's also the idea that if somebody's um what we would call crazy or what we would have called crazy years ago mm. um we a lot of uh, a lot of people basically used to just be medicated up to the point that they uh, couldn't do anything and and surgeons would remove parts of people's brains to make them less dangerous um and it's almost like where's the point where if somebody's such a danger and you medicate them so they're no longer a danger but then you could take away all personality and mm -hmm. everything they have to contribute to the world right so that opens up for discussion there i believe but um, yeah, like how much of the individual do you take away when you try to protect them from themselves and other people yeah hmm. um I think the way um, mental patients used to be treated uh, years ago, I think, is very horrific. I know that um, I remember seeing an advert one time there for, um, and it was from like the 40s or 50s, and people were allowed to pay a fee um, like once a week to go into the institutions with mental patients and they could like prod and poke them and basically observe them and see how they behave and right. it was quite quite a cruel thing yeah and uh, a lot of a lot of treatments or so-called treatments for the mentally the ill especially those who were severely ill involved a lot of beating and trying to thrash the illness out of them almost like a i don't know a puritan settler trying to whip the sins out of their body or something it had this it had this um this degree of sadism to it almost yeah beyond part of the people trying to trying to help them you know and even that is not a clear black and white situation because here you have yeah, on saying, one hand someone trying to hurt them you know but uh, they're trying to they're actually truly their intentions are to help cure them so it's, yeah uh, it's never clear is in their it? head at least yeah right but that's then, enough i suppose maybe i guess so intention. I, I think so i think intentions count for a lot a lot of people think that intentions don't count for for anything and that it's only the result of your actions that matter but i do think intentions are extremely important and, and uh, need to be taken very seriously especially if they can be proven yeah i i definitely believe that i think intention um as devastating as actions are um if you don't look at the intention then you might seek revenge um and uh then your intentions are are bad whereas if you look at someone's intentions behind the actions um it's the whole seek to understand before seeking to be understood sort of mm -hmm. um wisdom mm -hmm. i suppose yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you know, if someone were to kill somebody, the way the manner in which they did it would really matter. If it was, you know, vehicle manslaughter and it was a complete accident, maybe the person, the victim was wearing black at night and it was raining and the person was driving the speed limit, but for some reason they hit them, didn't see the person in the middle of the night. 
or if somebody yeah. kills somebody with a dagger you know and purposely stabs them enough times that they lose enough blood to die it certainly matters the intentions of the the driver and the person who used the knife and that's but the results are exactly the same yeah that's um that's probably the most purest example to um to the point behind how intentions are more important i think um i can't really think of any arguments for um like just to if i was to try and play devil's advocate with myself i mean i can't think of any way that in um intention would not be as important as action um I think, well, I, I suppose if you take it from the, take it from a very personal perspective, you know, if you had a, a daughter or a son and they died somehow, uh, it almost wouldn't matter to you perhaps if they were murdered or not to a certain degree, you know, you would still feel that loss deeply. And so a lot of people with overly simplistic arguments might say, it has. It does not matter if the man was driving a car in the middle of the night or using a knife. You know, he still killed someone. He still stole a life, and therefore should face the same consequences, even if it was a complete accident. And in my view, that's a very archaic, cold, crass perspective because it lacks a lot of compassion for the the true nature of reality, which I believe is a a reality where there are a lot of accidents and actions that are just completely outside of what we like to think of as human will or free will. And there's an argument to be I'm made that try. free will may not even exist. So I think pe we need, we owe people a degree of patience for their mistakes more than we give them. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, an interesting idea that free will doesn't exist. I think what, that's another thing. What extent can that go to? I mean, does that go to the point that this conversation we're having right now is completely like this was how it's going to go no matter what, because we're all we're all um, a blob of chemicals reacting one after the other. And mm -hmm. is every single action um, out of our control or is is it half and half? And can we really make decisions with our heart? like we believe we can i think we can still make decisions you know with our heart it's just whether or not those decisions are sort of somewhat pre-programmed so to speak you know is is kind of the idea i i actually don't i don't believe that free will exists but i don't i don't like to think about it because i don't think it helps anyone i don't think it's a particularly useful um string of thought there's some things you can do or some things you can learn and by learning them and incorporating them into your life, you can become a more, you know, well-rounded, well-rounded individual. Um, so I don't believe that free will exists. And I've read a lot about the philosophical and just natural arguments against it. Um, but I don't like to think about it because I don't think it necessarily does anything for me. The only thing that it does um, is that it actually makes it sort of irrational to feel hatred for people. Because if there really is no free will, then people don't choose who they become. So if somebody's a thief or a murderer, it only helps to feel compassion and sympathy for the fact that they, the cards and the dice fell such that they became that person. So I, I don't have any malice yeah. towards them because it's not their fault. Just like it's not my fault that I'm a 
podcaster and a writer that I like to ride the unicycle. I don't know why I'd become that person. I don't know why I was born the way I was. You know, we don't we don't pick our genes. We don't pick our we are the time of our birth. We don't pick the environment in which we grow up in our our parents or who nurtures us. We don't even pick the country we're born in, you know, and all these things have yeah. massive implications on who we become. In fact, they are the only implications on who we become. And there's really no variables outside of that equation. You know, everything that happens to us is completely outside of our, our control. And um, yeah, so I don't like to think about it because it, it's surreal and makes you feel weird because we happen to have self-awareness and consciousness. But um, yeah, that's what I believe. <laughs> it's a weird belief. It's out there. Um, yeah. You know. um, it's an interesting one. And it's hard to, it's hard to not believe it. Um, but I think there's the whole nature nurture. And I think maybe if there's no free will, I think our, um, our forced will or whatever we're, um, operating on mm -hmm. is played out by um, influence, nurture, and nature. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's three factors, really. Yeah. Well, it's got to be, it's got to be a, a whole host of things that we can't naturally understand, I suppose, or readily account yeah. for at all times. You know, but uh, the way that I feel it, sort of instinctively, if you were to take a, if you were to try to have a personal, try to observe that free will doesn't exist, I remember all those moments in my life and moments that happen every day you know the term autopilot um yeah yeah where you're just you're going about cooking or running exercising who knows what you're doing yeah but you kind of just lose a span of time because you decided to just zone out you know and so all of your physical actions how you moved your fingers how you breathed and how you cooked how you were jogging or whatever you were doing where you zoned out. It's like even the illusion of free will wasn't present in that moment. You just weren't there. Like your self-awareness had just turned off for 10 minutes. You know, like you were kind of just, wow. you were kind of just not there. And yet everything went fine. You were breathing, you were running or doing whatever you had to do to get through the task. And then you, open, and then all of a sudden you, you bring back a little bit of uh, your self-awareness, mindfulness to the present moment. And you're like, oh, I'm back now. Like, where did you go? <laughs> and why was it that your yeah. body had zero need for you to be there to complete all the things that it did? You know, um, another way to look at it is like sentences. I know that it, some people are very conscious with how they form sentences, but for the most part, we just kind of blurt out what comes to our heads. And the more that we get lost in that feeling of just string of consciousness, the way that I'm talking right now to you, the more it feels mysterious, genuinely, how I pick each word. Like, I'm not sure how I pick each word. And the more that I look into that, the more that I realize that I'm not, I'm not necessarily authoring the little neurons in my head that are sparking each word or each decision for, for me to um, verbalize this to you. And so, yeah, there's a lot of like spooky ways to look into it if people are skeptical about it. And I think it's... It's one of those things that's uncomfortable to realize if you do happen to think it's true. Uh, so that's why I, I try not to dwell on it too long. Yeah. That's interesting, though, because when I, when I make art, I feel like I'm just playing. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, um, 
it's almost like I wake up and I've made a piece of art. Whereas if I think about the art I'm making, I never manage to make something that I like. Mm. Um, but I, I think there's maybe there's because I, I it's almost like the philosophy of the ego and the self. And the ego is the the part that um, wants to try and control everything and uh, do everything in a way that's going to make a good result and ultimately so that you can survive. And then the self is the one that just wants to live and be present. And when I'm, if I'm painting, for instance, I'm just living and being present. Um, and um, I'm sure for you, when you juggle, um, you're not thinking about each miniature hand movement it's like a muscle memory so now that you've learned it you can um i don't know almost switch off you to all the finer details and just be like i'm juggling yeah no you're exactly right i mean that's one of the reasons why i love i love circus arts for that reason because it it demands that you kind of forget all the bullshit about daily life and everything and just kind of focus in on what you're doing because usually the task you're doing is extremely hard and needs a lot of focus for you to try to master it and that could depend on anything yeah. you could be on trapeze or you could be on a unicycle or juggling so you need to focus and then once you master that skill you can enjoy getting lost in it because it, like you said it becomes muscle memory you can enjoy stringing that into another skill you learned or and so it's like there's two different ways to sort of uh, forget the outside world and kind of just zone in on that mode of self-expression. And um, one of them is extremely difficult in that you have to learn the skill at the outset. And then one of them is more of the art form in that you're, you know, creating a movement or showcasing something that you've done thousands of times. So therefore it's almost hard to mess it up. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it is, and, um, and and it's almost like other things that you. I think what I love about circus skills, um, like you were saying, like the unicycle and everything, is there are some things that you do, and whilst you do it, you're um, or the monkey mind, as some people call it, it just starts rattling on and on and on about daily life and. Sometimes it's hard to sit down and read a book because you can, or meditate, for instance, because the mind rattles on. Whereas once you have it focused, um, focused on on um, juggling, which is so complex, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then, am I making? You sense? are making sense. Yeah. Do you practice mindfulness at all, or, mind or mindfulness meditation? I do, um, not as much as I should, but um, yeah, I, I, I do practice, um, but I'm sort of um, trying to channel that into juggling because mm. um, uh, although I don't actually juggle as much, I don't practice juggling as much as I um, should to be as good as I, I'd like mm. to be. Um, that's one thing actually I admire about you a lot is... Um, every time I look at my phone and go on my Instagram stories, you're 
riding a unicycle juggling eight balls or ten how many how many <laughs> Not balls many. can you juggle it looks like eight or ten i can do six right now is my absolute limit and i can barely do six so i can fluently do five and i can spectacularly do four but i can barely do six right now yeah okay um yeah it's hard to it's hard to count when it's just uh juggling but I, I was thinking like you know, there could be eight or ten balls there. But, um... <laughs> I mean that's like that's what the greater part about once you get to four or five balls is that it just if you're doing it fast enough it looks like who knows what's going on. You know it could be any number of, of objects there. People don't necessarily know unless they're someone like me who watches a bunch of jugglers and practices all the time. Yeah. Do you um. Can you do tricks with um, juggling as well as um, with like the the three balls? Um, oh yeah, I know there's like the Mills mess and everything and the double. Yeah, U. I can do Mills mess and chops with three quite well. That was like the most recent thing I learned, and I can do a bunch of little tricks with three. I can juggle behind my back with three. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, so. I, I don't show that as much to people because I still find it pretty boring. To me, I find it really boring. I'm sure other people will find it somewhat interesting, but I juggling behind your back. Yeah, well, because three is three balls, so it's like I don't know. It's not that to me. It's not that impressive. It's like so. I'd rather get good at like five or something like that and try to learn tricks with five than than show people that. It's more what I do to warm up. To be honest, like what you don't see that I put online is that I will approach every time I pick up the unicycle or do the juggling. Or even if I'm at the circus gym and I'm doing silks or trapeze, that I'll always go through the basics first for like 20 minutes before I hop onto anything that's new or exciting for me to learn that's challenging. So like with juggling, I'll pick up three and I'll go through my whole repertoire with three for like 10 or 20 minutes. And then I'll move on to my repertoire with four. And then I'll start practicing five and then see if I can do something new that day. Um, that's kind of like how I practice. I go through everything. Wow. So you're very um, disciplined to the to this practice, actually. I mean, I knew that before because of how good I've seen you are on um, uh, on Instagram, of course. And um, what is it, I suppose, that, that that encourages you to to practice juggling? Because I've sort of managed to learn to juggle three balls and I can do a couple of tricks with that. Um, and I try like lots of tricks in my mind to sort of get myself to practice more mm. and everything. But um, what is it that makes you realize, right, today I'm going to, I'm going to do juggling. I'm going to do some practice and get better. And I'm going to, mm. Is that is that something that came over time, or something that uh, was there or an obsession that made you do it constantly? What is, well, what know, is that's that? That's really that's one of the best questions you've asked because it opens up a lot of my my motivations as a person in general, and it's that I I would like to lead a life that is full of passion and that involves becoming an individual who is spectacular, someone I can be proud of. And not necessarily for the approval of others or the admi admiration of other people, um, but it's mostly for myself. And in, in a world where it's so 
easy to be addicted to our phones or to media to waste time and mastery of a skill i think is becoming it's both extremely it's much easier now because we have more access to material to learn it but it's also a lot harder to focus because we're in the distraction age and so it's really tempting to squander our time and to waste it on things that are already wildly entertaining and so with my writing and with circus i basically just i don't want to be one of those people who wastes all of his time and so i'd rather because i know i know that when i'm on my deathbed i'm never going to think to myself i wish i had watched 10 more minutes of youtube or i wish i had you know scrolled instagram for 15 more minutes like that, that'll never fucking be a thought right and i don't think it'll be a thought for most people but we were, we're going yeah. to inevitably regret all the things that we could have done in terms of garnering skills and being somebody of talent which everyone has in them for something we're going to regret the times we didn't spend becoming that person and we're going to mourn the loss of the individual that we could have become but we didn't that's going to be heartbreaking. Or we can choose to set aside time, however hard it is, to do the things that we love, the things that we're passionate about, the things that are hard, and actually give them a serious chance to be a huge part in our lives. And so that's why I do all those things. That's a very... That's a very good answer. Thank you. Matt. Um, yes. There's a, a mixture of fear yeah. and um, passion that goes into the things I do, I think, because I'm afraid of regretting at my old age. Yeah, that's that's true. One thing that scares me a lot is regret. And uh, there's all, I'm, I'm 25 right now, and there's already things that I think, oh, but it, it's, it's very easy to sort of think, I should have learned the piano when I was five and sort of have this kind of right. regret. Well, but there's that free will thing again. You, can, you can't blame free. yourself that much for things like that, especially for the situations when we were children, you know, like it's like, geez, you, you could have, you could have been the yeah. kid that was doing piano at five years old, but how much autonomy did you have at five for fuck's sake? None, right? Zero. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I understand what that's like, and I have the same thing, you know, it's it's strange, but I guess there there really is no excuse to a certain extent once you have that thought in your brain, because before you have that thought in your brain of potential and everything like that, I guess you don't really have an excuse. You, you never, whenever it was a consideration to you, it wasn't in your sphere of possibility. But once you do, you know, start thinking about like, oh man, I could have, I could be a master uh, pianist, or I could pursue engineering and and do something spectacular with tesla or whatever you want to do once that thought is in your brain like the the, the onus is a hundred percent on you to do something with it before then perhaps not um but yeah so i i have a lot of those thoughts in my brain i guess and i'm someone who just basically strives to to not waste is all that time that that is so easily wasted and i'm not even that good at it i'm like mediocre at taking advantage of my time but it still allows me to do some pretty cool things in my opinion things that i even wish i was so much better at than i am now so. 
Yeah. That that's um that's some very good um that's a good very good piece of wisdom right there, really. Um and it's that all that we have the power of right now is making sure we don't have any more regrets in the future to add to our um bank right. of regrets. And the mm, okay. Um, just the bank of regrets that are sitting there gaining interest. <laughs> That's yeah. what I was going to say. Exactly. And then there's that whole part of the equation too, which is really important is that once you, once you feel like you're somebody who's driven by mostly ambition and passion and things like that is inevitably you're going to start feeling anxiety because you start to fail doing these really hard things. And maybe you, yeah, maybe you're trying to, publish a book or you're trying to learn a certain skill and it's not working, it's not coming through. Inevitably, you're going to start to feel anxious about your levels of success in this very ambitious driven lifestyle that you're leading. And that's also a huge hurdle. That's like the next level. I think that is um, not talked about a lot is like, can you be someone of extreme ambition and passion, um, but also be content when you fail and know how to manage feelings of anxiety and fear when you're not doing so well, even though you're trying hard. Like, can you be an ambitious individual, but also be content and extremely happy even when you're not a success yet, or you're not successful in that moment for whatever next goal you're going for. That's extremely important to me to actually be happy while you're striving for these things. Because a lot of times when people are trying to do something remarkable and they're not there yet, they don't have the, the accolades or the acclaim or the success yet they feel miserable and they owes them something you know it owes them that moment because they're working so hard and until they get that moment they feel extremely miserable that they don't have it and to me it's extremely important that you don't feel miserable on your path to whatever individual you're becoming or are or expressing you know like it's extremely important for me to be happy to, even if you're failing Yeah, I I 100% agree with that. Um, it's you have to enjoy the process, and you have to. Um, there's a um, something I I said the other day on Instagram, and people always ask, um, "What would you do if you knew mm -hmm. you would be successful right. no matter what?" Um, but I heard somebody twist it around and say, "Actually, what you should be asking is, what would you do?" if you knew you right. was going to fail, because if you knew you was going to fail at whatever you do, then... And you still wanted to um, do it. Then, then you'd just do something right. you would enjoy because you'd think, well, oh, I could let's go and get a job as an accountant and be a millionaire. Oh, I'm going to fail that, so I won't really enjoy it. But let's go and do... Um, let's go and practice juggling. I'm going to fail at that, but I'm going to love mm -hmm. failing at that because it looks so fun to do. Um, I mean, some people might choose to go and be a millionaire rather than, than learn to juggle. And that's, you know, I'm not knocking that. That's, um, we're all individuals in this world. Um, and uh, I think one example is um, right now um, I'm working at Amazon and of course I'm, 
I'm living frugally and I'm putting away as much money as I don't have to spend. Um, and I'm basically living very tight and thinking of that lump sum of money I'll have um, in a little while's time once I've saved up. But as much as um, my work is kind of miserable, I'm enjoying every bit of it. I'm enjoying the early mornings, the um, waiting for the bus before the sunrise. I'm enjoying um, the monotony of um, looking at a computer screen and packing up parcels. Um, right. I'm enjoying yeah. it. No, I think I get that. Because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's a journey to where I want to go. I mean, if it was a means to an end, I'd probably get very sick and tired of it. But I'm enjoying the sickness and tiredness of it because it's it's part of a journey that I'm on. And I have, like, with that uh, money, that's going to give me the leverage to do the next big thing right. in my yeah, life. So there's no know? reason to feel to feel like the sense of um, bitterness towards it because you know it's a necessary evil if you even want to call it that or it's the stepping stone to get to some next place that you're excited to go and therefore you're excited to show up every day at what you're doing now it com- makes complete sense um yeah i was on a i have a similar anecdote it's not i mean so yeah i worked at a at a mortuary for a long time and so that deals with handling corpses and dead people and seeing all manner of horrible things. And I saw, I loved it doing it. Um, and even when it was really hard because the hours were long, I had the same perspective. I, I would enjoy it for what it was and admire the place that it had in my life and be grateful that it was there. And even though I don't do that job anymore, you know, I, I really am happy that I had that experience and it's just so important, you know, to, to be, I guess grateful for whatever experience each moment is giving us. There was a, there was this girl on a forum that I joined for unicyclists and she was talking about how her friend had progressed a lot faster than she had, even though they got their unicycle at the same time. So she started to get more bitter and therefore less inclined to practice. And it's so funny because like the, one of the reasons why I love circus arts is because I love the fact that it is so normal every time you learn a new skill or a new trick or a new movement to be a complete beginner all over again. So like you may be a master at juggling five balls, but as soon as you pick up that sixth ball, you are back in the land of being a beginner again. You suck all over again at this new thing. Yeah, you are square one. Square one. And so you have to continually make peace with that feeling of like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'm have to spend, you know, 10, 20, 30, hundreds of hours on this to get good at it. And then as soon as I pick up another ball after that, it's going to get just even just as hard, you know, as it was before. So I love that, like that, that humility and that reminder that you're not hot shit as soon as you try the next difficult thing. And it keeps you, I don't know, it keeps you engaged and it means that basically if you're able to enjoy that process of learning from square one, every time then you're going to progress much faster like paradoxically because you're going to not beleaguer it and be so bitter all the time and i think that applies to life and career choices and stepping stones like like you're going through right now i think it's i think it all like that perspective is so flexible and good with so many different scenarios
Yeah. Um, that's definitely um, one of the main reasons why not to be bitter about failure is that you will fail more. It becomes a self-perpetuating mm-hmm. cycle. Um, uh, so I want to talk more about your um, mm-hmm. uh, writing. So you've been writing yeah. for six years, you say, and you're you're into a lot of um horror stories and um might i say hauntology if if that's yeah i mean i actually haven't heard that term until you brought it up today but i I suppose it it describes it pretty well from the way you depicted it yeah it's um I find I find it fascinating um, the um, the whole the whole idea of how something can be very haunting just because of the change of how you uh, how you look at it or how you show it to people um, and I know I know that you love um, horror stories there. Um, can you, can you tell us a bit about like what horror stories sort of, of mean yeah, to absolutely. you? Um, I don't know. It's almost like as an atheist, it's the closest thing I have to a spirituality, I suppose. Um, not horror stories specifically, but, but literature and writing. And the reason why I cling to the macabre and darker stories, I think, is because it enables us to, to look at life and experiences through this somewhat difficult harrowing sometimes haunting lens and by sitting with it and and getting comfortable with it we can see a lot of the beauty and the grace in these themes these themes like grief and paranoia and suffering even and people don't think of these things as being beautiful but of course if you portray them in a certain way they they can definitely become that and since life is so full of those themes naturally outside of stories, just in our daily lives, I think we can start to find a lot of the suffering in our lives. Beautiful. Just like you enjoy waking up and looking at the sunrise while waiting for the bus, going to a job that you don't necessarily enjoy all that much. Um, so there's definitely an element of suffering there, but because of you, you look at it a certain way, it suddenly becomes this tiny moment of art. And that's how I feel about horror stories. I think it, I think um, when it's written well enough or directed well enough in the case of a film, it kind of opens our eyes to just how beautiful things are, even if it's kind of uh, violent or bloody or, or even terrifying. And so I'm endlessly fascinated by that. So that's why I am into it. Yeah it's the it's the theatrical element i suppose of of life um there was a guy that i worked for one of my old bosses um he was he's very um wise wise person and um when i worked for him if somebody uh mentioned um like just like the the struggles of life you know like i've oh, got um 
got to pick the kids up in a bit and you have to go here and I've been busy doing that and everything. One thing he would always say about life, he would say, it's a beautiful struggle, mm. isn't it? Um, and and that, that's true. You know, I think that's what I love is life is a beautiful struggle. Um, you, can, you can look at all of the things of life. It's like what they say about the snow. If you don't enjoy the snow, you'll have more misery, but you'll have the right, same amount exactly. of snow. Exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly. And if you don't enjoy the struggle, you're still going to have just as much struggle, but you'll have right. more misery. Um, and um, yeah, I, I love saying that. Like, um, So I, I don't, this guy that I worked for, I don't know where he is now, what he's doing because I don't know if his business survived the pandemic or um, if he managed to, I'm not sure what the law was on everything. And so I've not been in touch with him for a while, but I always <laughs> remember him saying that and I, I'd like to get in touch with him again, but I always remember him saying, it's mm. a beautiful struggle, isn't it? And I always say that to myself and I say it to other people. I think it's one of the most inspiring things. And, and, um, And that's what I love about theatre too, um, is is it puts all of that, it puts all of, all of that life, all of that pain and suffering that we all experience. Mm. It puts it on stage, and puts it in another light, um, in something right. that you can enjoy. Exactly. Yeah, and and I think that's what that's what art is. I think in a nutshell. Okay whether it's on a theater or not, that's, that's what art does. It, it compartmentalizes the little tiny experiences of the human condition. Sometimes it'll focus on a broad range of them. Sometimes it'll be a very specific kind of emotion and it'll focus solely on one thing, but it will put it on display for us after being interpreted by an artist, an individual, and we can see it through their perspective as well as just getting a taste of whatever theme that they were really digesting and yeah it's uh it's extremely crucial a lot of times it's it's easy to overlook the importance of artists in society and it is just like uh, it is and it isn't a frivolous thing um but at the end of the day i think it's extremely crucial i think we've been doing it and we've been creating art and expressing ourselves in this way all the way back to when we were just painting caves as cavemen uh, so this process of creation and self-reflection is clearly crucial to pretty much every culture. And it would be very dismal indeed if we had a, a, a society that became modernized and somehow left it behind, I think, it would be a huge mistake. Yeah. I like that you mentioned, like, it goes back to the um, uh, drawings on the cave walls. Um, I, I like to always mention that when people when people talk about art, a lot of people dismiss art. Oh, it's not an important. It's because uh, I did an art degree, and and people, oh, that's a mi right. Mickey Mouse degree. Yeah. It's um, mm -hmm. it's not important. But um, when you like, okay, so art isn't exactly um, like um neuroscience mm. per se but 
if you go back in time to the people drawing on the cave walls, they were the people doing something. They were trying to capture something about life and work it out why we're here sort of thing. And then like the philosophers like Plato, for instance, he he was an artist and a mathematician and a philosopher and I th mm. think a physicist as well. Um, and sort of art and science years ago was merged and it's only as time's got on, it's got much broader. We've had to break right. it down into categories. Um, somehow art has sort of fell off of the spectrum of trying to work out the um, this this mystery that we're all trying to mm -hmm. work out, I suppose. Um, and I don't think there is much of a mystery to work out, but knowing that the thought of there being a mystery maybe is something that's so... Um, I don't know how to word it in a, a light okay. way, so I'll word it in a very dark way, but the idea of a mystery keeps us entertained. Okay, that is quite, yeah, so, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, I Yeah, I mean, even as an atheist, I... I agree with you. I don't think there's necessarily much of a mystery, but there is certainly there certainly is an element of mystery about the idea of you know what what consciousness is. We that can't seemingly is a problem that science can't solve, and so that's that is mysterious. Uh, it's mysterious that we exist. I think in a in the broad sense, in the sense that we're self aware. I think that's bizarre. But um, no, I think you're completely right about art and that it's not you know it's not taken as seriously um but i do think it's crucial like i think art keeps people sane and they don't realize it so if it was just the industrial or industrious modern world that we live in you know with with uh, the the just gigantic companies and their adverts and all of us going to our jobs and feeling a little bit hopeless and a little bit tired <laughs> And there were, if there was no music and no, no films to watch, there was no, there was no architect who made things into beautiful shapes so that we could look at statues on the way into our apartment. And our, indeed, our apartment was just cubes because it was purely, purely pragmatic and no art, art to it or no, no sense of grace. I think we would just constantly be killing ourselves all the time. Like, honestly, like the society would crumble. Like we would hate our lives if art didn't exist in it. Like art keeps us alive for sure. But we just don't really think about how it does that. It keeps us, like you're saying, it keeps yeah. us entertained. But it's not just that. It keeps us self-reflective and hopeful. Art is like, art is the embodiment of hope because it's the time to take away from, it's taking away time from survival to create something that is seemingly frivolous. And somehow, paradoxically, in that process, it becomes crucial. It becomes crucial to understanding who we are, how we connect to other people, you know. And so I start to see art as more than just the traditional mediums that we that we think of. Like, I think of this conversation as, as a, a kind of art. Yeah. It's the art of language and conversing. You know, we're using words in a very methodical way. There's an artistry to that, to the way anybody talks, whether they realize it or not. And... So, yeah, I think it's hugely important, but people don't realize how much, you know, next time somebody tells you, Sam, that your art degree is bullshit, you ask them how many hours of Netflix they watched that week. And you let them know that every single person on those shows and on those films was an artist because they wouldn't have Netflix without artists.
Yeah, that's that's very true, and um, and that's a very good point. There is that um, the same people that uh, that that think that art is uh, not important will will watch TV and read books and go to the cinema mm-hmm. and go to the fanfare and listen to music um, endlessly. <laughs> And uh, yeah, listen to music, and they'll see some a video on Facebook of somebody um, juggling six <laughs> balls and two chainsaws and an egg, and think I'm gonna share or, this and show it to all of my friends, and then they'll go to work. The yeah, or they'll say, or they'll watch are? that video and they'll say, "Oh, I'm inspired to be a better accountant or whatever I am." You know, it's not look how much time this person put into doing that thing i bet if i put that much passion into what i do i would be an even better version of that so they get inspired by it and then they say yeah they turn around and say yeah who needs art so it's completely right um whether whether we like it or not we are inspired by one another and we take from one another when we see each other do wonderful things so uh, we better make use of it i think yeah Yeah, there's that's um I don't know, that's very that's very true. That's all I can really think of right now, it's very true. Um I want to also um so so where is it that you're um where do you think the crossover is? Okay. I think mm-hmm. I sort of know the answer to this, actually. Um, but I'm going to let you answer it anyway, because you might surprise me. Um, and Or you might... <laughs> okay. Um, either way, you're definitely going to mm-hmm. have a good... I think you're going to have a good answer. Where does it merge with um, your writing and your circus skills? What... Um, is it, it? It's all theatre, I suppose, isn't it? And it's the appreciation of the 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 mm. um, mystery of life. Well, I mean, I it's it's a twofold answer. I can give you like pragmatic, a pragmatic, practical answer, and I can give you the the philosophy behind it. I can be pretty brief with both of those things. So, the the pseudonym that I chose and the name that I legally adopted, Harlequin Grimm. Harlequin, to me, represents the more frivolous, lighthearted, and mischievous and playful nature of being human. And Grimm represents the more intellectual, philosophical, the introspective, and the solemn, like the stoic, right? So that falls into the literature and the arts and things like that, and taking time to read and write and reflect. And Harlequin is about the expression, the chaotic energy of being human and expressing that. And it just so happens that I love circus arts. That's not so. It's not like I picked circus arts after I chose that name. Something I'd always been doing since I was a child. Basically, I learned to juggle when I was like eight or nine, and then I stopped uh, and for some time when I was a teenager. And I even rode the unicycle when I was, I think, thirteen or so. And I did stilts as well, and I did a few other circusy apparatuses um, when I was a young boy. And then I left it behind and I just kind of forgot about it. Then as an adult, I realized that it was a perfect way to balance out my life because I would spend hours writing, doing my podcast or writing short stories or novels. And I wouldn't really have any mode of exercise. 
So then I started exercising, and then I realized how boring that was. And then I remembered that I loved um, circus arts as a kid, and that I might still have the same affection for it if I just brought out the equipment again. So I got back into everything and realized I loved it so much. And then I found a circus gym in the area where I live, and I realized I could learn how to be an aerial artist with the silks and trapeze. And so I started doing that too. And now I re- now I can't even imagine my life without them. Like I think it would be a really horrible, boring life. Like I'm addicted to doing these things so much so that it distracts me from my writing. So <laughs> that's the answer. <laughs> there you go. Wow. That's, um, that's, a, that's a good story as well. Um, and I like that you had an interest in the, the arts, like the circus from, from a young age. Because um, I, I think I learned to juggle mm-hmm. about when I was 10. And then just like you, I sort of put them down and, and, and didn't pick it up again until yeah. I was about It's interesting. I mean, 20. I've also dealt with a lot of... Uh, one reason why I picked this pseudonym is as a reminder to myself because oftentimes as adults as i'm sure you know and your listeners know that there's this feeling when you're doing something sometimes like this question like am i allowed to do this like should i do this am i allowed to do this will other people think this is silly or take it seriously um and my name solidifies my decision to completely disregard that question all the time like by naming myself something that's absurd um, or fantastical, I've committed myself to leading a lifestyle that a lot of people I've accepted just won't understand or isn't, you know, necessarily accepted by social standards. And so if I'm going to juggle or be on my unicycle or master circus arts, Uh, That's going to require a lot of constantly brushing up against that question of like, am I allowed to do this? Like, should I do this? Are people going to think I'm weird for doing this in my adult life? Um, And I just completely ignore that feeling because I just love, I love doing these things. And even with writing, writing is sort of a taboo thing to pursue or art in general is a taboo thing to pursue because people think of it as something that can't garner an income or success or anything like that. So people think of it as being a waste of time. And it, I kind of have to just continually remind myself that this is, these are the things I love doing. This is one of the best ways I can contribute to the world and become a better individual. So that keeps me motivated and keeps me sort of um, not considering doubtful thoughts, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I, I really like that. Um, I think that's so cool that you've changed your name, like um, face value anyway, like, wow, you changed your name. How cool. But there's, there's definitely, I definitely appreciate the um, in-depth reason, like, because it mm. answers the question I asked earlier more, I suppose, that when I said what motivates you, now that your name's Harlequin, you, you can, well, Harlequin Grimm, in the morning when you wake up, you can think Harley Quinn Grimm doesn't sit and watch um, <laughs> two seasons of whatever. Harley Quinn goes out. Um, so so it's like um, not, suppose, a change of identity. No, exactly. But like, like, um, you are maybe like an completely update. correct. 
that's exactly how it works for me. And I, I use that thought all the time to make decisions and see like how I want to act as a person. And I, yeah, I chose the name after I felt like I had done enough work on myself that I felt like I had earned the name, I think. And, but yeah, of course, life isn't, life in progress isn't linear. So every once in a while, I need to remind myself why I chose that name and not be the person that I was before. You are completely dead on, right? Yeah. Well, um, we're saying it's an update um to yeah sort exactly. of get rid of the even the way you pose the question or... like when i wake up in the morning I'm like harlequin doesn't do this he does something else like i think about that i have that literal thought all the time like verbatim yeah um That's a, it's very profound though. I mean, as much as I very much appreciate it, um, I think that's a great thing that you've done. I also appreciate how profound that is um, because to, to do that, I think also takes guts. Not everyone can just, just, just say, I'm going to change my name to, to do a, um, you know, like, yeah, not everyone just has, has that, has the courage to just change mm -hmm. their own name to, to the thing that they yeah. do, you know? Um, and I suppose it's, it's something very theatrical too, because I mean, if you was, um, if, if somebody was an accountant, they're, they're not going to just change their name to, um, <laughs> Mr. Accountant or um, <laughs> like Steve Numbers. Yeah. Well, I, I think it comes with it comes with the yeah. everything that I'm doing and that I I'm getting closer and closer to the the state of living where the things that I am passionate about doing are the things that also yeah, give me an income. So the more that that is the case, the more that I can just be myself at all times. I don't have to like necessarily do as many other things that fall under the category of necessary evil or work that I have to do to get an income. So like, so it really, it's really important to me to yeah. keep that goal in sight. Like the, the goal that I'm not going to settle for a life that I'm not thrilled about. And some people would say that that is, that that is extremely um, unrealistic. And other people would say that that's the most realistic thing you could say, because after all, if you're going to live a single life and then die, why wouldn't you, why would you, how could you settle for a life that you're not thrilled for? How could you possibly do that? Um, so that's, that's my philosophy. And I find it just as, just as people find it unrealistic to choose a life um, that is driven by passion and, and creativity and more of lofty goals. I find it super unrealistic and scary to live a life that is constantly settling. It's like settling for a job you don't like that much. Settling for a place to live you don't like that much. Settling for hobbies that you don't like that much. Settling for friends and things you do that you don't like that much. Like that scares the shit out of me because 
because if you choose that life, it's going to be one that's full of like disappointment and bitterness, at least for me, it would be for me. So I can't choose that life, unfortunately, because I would be signing up yeah. for a lot of torture. So even though the creative life as an artist and a starving artist comes with a lot of its challenges, and economic challenges, as things get better, you start to make a bit more income off of it. Um, it's kind of like a winner takes all situation because you get to do what you love every day and you don't have to do anything else. There's no reason to do anything else. So um, that's like a huge motivation for me is I just, I can't, can't live a life where I spend, you know, I don't know, 50 hours of my week doing something or being somebody I, I don't, I shouldn't be. It's just wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I, I love that that you said, winner takes all. Um, that's that's um, That sort of hits home, really, I think. Right. That's no very settling. true. Winner does take all. You know, settle, settle, settle for that. But winner takes all. Um, do, you, do you find that you're living in, like, <laughs> another reality since you had this name change? Like... You, you see other people in their life that they've sort of settled for that could be a bit better, could be a bit more like this or like that. Do you find that you're yeah, in another I get, reality? I get imposter syndrome almost. all the time because I, because it's like the thing that I'm doing is kind of working. Like I, sure, I do some work to make, I do some work to make ends meet, but for the most time I spend my, I spend my life entertaining people on Instagram and writing podcasts and trying to get a book deal. You know, it's like my life is doing the things that I love and then, for a few hours of the week, I'm, I'm earning some money to make ends meet for what I don't make from the podcast. So it's weird because it's like, it's kind of working and um, it's not totally 100% there. But I often am like, it's like a question, like, am I allowed to do this? Like, it's Tuesday afternoon and I'm like on my unicycle at a skate park. <laughs> like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, but I like, I love what I'm doing. I love who I am. But yeah, I see everyone else going about their their nine to five jobs or whatever they are doing and i'm just so divorced from that reality now that i don't really it's hard you know it's like it just feels strange sometimes i feel like a bit of a ghost like i opted out of the society that i'm living in somehow it's weird it's a strange feeling yeah um that must be a very strange feeling i mean when I was in university, I know that sometimes if I went on like um, mm -hmm. a night out that turned into a bit of a bender, um, that, and, and I know that that's not how I want to live my life. I don't want to be like someone who goes out on benders and wastes their life. But I, I still sort of enjoy the reality that you go into when that's happening um, because you have this like um when, when you're when it's like six o'clock in the morning and you see people your own age um taking their kids to school and you think i i was i'm thinking i don't have a kid i don't have any of them responsibilities i and i'm like there's people going to work and going off to do this and do that and i'm the student and i have like a part-time job and I have my responsibilities as a student as well, like to do my coursework, but I've got this like this little 
bit of time cut out of my life to just sort right. of opt out of that reality of the the rat race um or the, the yeah uh, and i mean it, it expresses itself bustle, in different ways like it's not just the artist path that chooses this like the other paths that choose it are people who go out who do um subsistence living or like they choose to go out and build their own home live in a cabin and hunt for their food and things like that there's definitely people out there who do that they leave modern society because they're like oh this is this is crazy like what are we doing like we're we're spending so much time inside we're not exercising very much we're not we're not even happy with all this wealth and success that we're garnering so they just opt out and artists kind of opt out too but they're in their own way i think they play the rat race a little bit in their own way they play the game but it's kind of on their own terms um and yeah but everyone like kind of what you were saying everyone yeah expects other people to garner a certain degree of responsibility and they think that you're not a a proper adult or a proper person if you haven't done that so you know by a certain age you should have a mortgage and you should have kids and you should be married and you should have a car payment and you should have certain payments that you're making in debt to the society that is in turn making you behave a certain way every day i.e going to a job and i don't know of course it's really easy to simplify it because there's yeah. tons of people who when i talk like this on instagram are like hey i love my job i love my life it's like Fair enough. I totally get it. But you're not everyone. There's tons of people who are in that situation who wake up at the age of 40 and 50 and think, what the hell have I done? I've signed up for a routine, a life, a, a, a mode of being that I, dis, I despise. I don't like. And so maybe it's painful to be a misfit and to do your, to go your own way to make your own decision, to start your own business or to, to be creative or to, to live outside of these norms. Maybe it's painful to do that because of all these expectations and the people who won't trust you or whatever. But what's even more painful is waking up at 40 or 50 or 60 and realizing that everything, the whole life you've led was just a sham for expectations and for things you didn't actually have to care about. Like that's terrifying. That's so terrifying. So, um, yeah. so I'm like vehemently against that. And of course it's really easy, you know, to simplify it. Like I said, I think there's, there's so many people who have these standard nine to five jobs or whatever they do. And they, they're stoked about it. Like they love going to it. They love getting home and having their break. They have, they love having their weekends and setting aside money for their retirement and they look forward to it. And they're completely hundred percent okay with all of it. And they're optimizing their life. Like they choose. And I, I'm not talking to those people. I'm talking to the people who have that itch in the back of their head that's telling them that this is wrong and they don't want to do this. And yeah, that's that's yeah. who I speak out for, I think. Yeah, that's and to those people right now, I I want to uh I want to address I want I want to address the people listening. If if you are on happy with your life in any way like get out man like get out of that situation just think of th make a game plan in your head think of how maybe you don't have you maybe the way you're looking at it you don't have much that you can do to get out of it but if you if you really sit and brainstorm it one night instead of watching telly and and you create a plan and you stick to it, you really can sort of 
escape that future that you um, might be sort of gliding towards right now on autopilot. Like you can get in the controls room and you can steer right. the plane. Um, it, it could be hard and it might be a rocky road and there it might you might have to burn the candle at both ends uh, in terms of sleep and you might have to it might take a lot of hard work but life takes a lot of hard work and why would you you got to do hard work to get so that you get to do the hard work that you enjoy rather than do the hard work so you can survive and carry on doing the hard work so that you can survive. Yeah. And it's difficult. It's really difficult to juggle those two things to like go home from your job or whatever it is that you need to sustain yourself and then pursue your, your personal ambition. It's a lot, but they're kind of like, sometimes there isn't another way. And sometimes you can change things. Like sometimes there's options for people that they don't realize. Um, like maybe they could, quit their job or get a job that requires that they work less so that they have more time to do the things that they love. And maybe they'll make less money, but all they have to do is spend less money every month or like tighten their belts, so to speak, to kind of make ends meet with this new position that gives them more time. Like that's kind of the situation that I've opted in. Like I give myself a lot more time to do the things that I love and to put more energy and, and time into it and work. Um, so I can see it grow more and therefore start to actually pay me more. Um, and the downside is that of course the, the day job that I have is super flexible, but I don't make as much money, but that's fine because I'm happier doing the things that I love and I'm not, you know, anywhere near homelessness or anything like that. So it's, there's like compromises people can make, like you can get creative with how you survive and lead your life. And, um, there's no rules. People think there's rules, but like there, there aren't any rules. There's just a lot of expectations and it's kind of hard to ignore those. Yeah. There aren't any rules. There's just a lot of expectations, but you don't have to meet them expectations. They're put there by other people. They're, yeah, they're I, I, would, I would say so they? for sure. Uh, I like to, I like to have expectations for myself and, and try yeah. to meet those instead, even though that can be just as hard. Uh, in terms of like how you feel with anxiety and things like that. But yeah, I, I live up to a lot of expectations that I have for myself or I try to at least. And I feel, I feel like when I wake up versus how I woke up every day when I was doing work at like the mortuary and everything, like I feel like I'm waking up into my life, which is a cool feeling because I didn't, I didn't felt that for the longest time. For the longest time I woke I felt like I was waking up into someone else's life. Like somebody who was making a lot of compromises in order to try to be who they want to be, but ultimately is failing. But now, nowadays when I wake up, I feel like I'm me. Like I feel like I'm waking up into my own life and that's a really cool feeling. Um, even though it's not perfect yet, it's, it's closer to where I want to be. So I've been happy with that lately. Yeah. Um, I want to mention the elephant in the room with mm -hmm. this, though. We're talking about chasing dreams. Um, is this recent year that we've that everyone's been through with this um, virus, and lots of um, countries have gone into lockdown, and hundreds of people have lost um, jobs. I don't know what it's like 
in America in terms of lockdown right now, but I know that um, the government in America has done zero uh, efforts to subsidize the financial, yeah, to subsidize the financial um, impact of the working class. And um, here, a lot of people that had jobs before um, have been given this furlough payment um and a lot of other countries are doing similar um schemes but i've I've heard so right now i mean we're sitting here saying chase your dreams but i suppose it's a bit of a privilege that we're sitting on because not everyone right now is in the um position um in terms of health mental health finances but I suppose we've all been given this time to sort of sit and think about oh, exactly. our lives. Exactly. I mean, think it's of what we want. I don't, I never am trying to shame people who feel super uncomfortable with that idea of changing up their life and their routines and everything. And, and they feel like they can't financially. Like, I know what that feels like. I've been there and I, in a way, like I am there. Like I'm my, I'm not rich by any means because I do the things that I want to do more often. Um, in fact, you know, it's much more the case that I'm like sacrificing economic security for that. But because I'm at a young age, I feel okay doing that. I don't feel bothered by it. But of course, it's never so black and white. It's just like, oh, just go quit your job and do what you want to do and everything will work out. Of course, that's hogwash. That's not true. And you have to be more careful than that and like wait for your moment and your time and devise a plan and think carefully and be patient with it. So it can be really annoying listening to two people tell you that I completely understand that I've, I've listened to Joe Rogan's podcast enough to be annoyed by people telling me to do that. And I'm definitely not telling people to do that. Um, but I think there's enough people in the world yeah. who have the means and are in that exact situation where it is, it is a possibility for them to change things and for them to ultimately be happier by changing them what they do. So um, like for example, I'm I'm in these weekly accountability groups, and I uh, I get into them for free because I I know the person who started them. Uh, basically, it's an organization called Better Together, and we meet up every week to talk about our goals and what we did or did not do the week before, and how we're going to change ourselves for the week coming. So I have a weekly accountability system that keeps me more on track for everything that I'm doing which is really helpful because I juggle a lot of different things. Um, and most of the people in that group, they pay, I think, $200 a month just to be there, which is the fee. But since I know the person who founded the company, I don't have to pay for it. Yeah, I got lucky. Uh, otherwise, I couldn't afford it. But um, what's yeah. interesting is just I didn't... Like, I'm sure you and I, Sam, keep the same crowds, or at least the friends that we have are probably near our age and similar economic status so we're around people who like can't really take a lot of risks and so it seems like the world is full of people who can't take a lot of risks but i'm in this group and everyone in it is paying a huge fee just to have this accountability system every week um and they are the exactly the kind of people who can take those risks and exactly the kind of people who can change up their lifestyle and their their time commitments and everything and the reason I say that is just because yeah, it's 
it's all like a matter of perspective because a lot of people in that group feel the same challenges that we feel, you know, they feel the psychological challenges. So sometimes it doesn't have to do with wealth as much. Um, sometimes it just has to do it with dedication and time and perseverance and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, my little rant earlier, like get off your feet, get on your feet and, and, and go and chase your dreams. I mean, I want to highlight that I did also say it takes a lot of hard work. Um, and that's the thing everyone says. It's easy to write a, a post on Instagram saying, go and chase your dreams. But but it it is hard. And um, right. I acknowledge that. But then again, what's harder is getting to um, your old age. Get, um, like you said earlier, laying on your deathbed mm-hmm. and thinking, I should have changed, chased my dreams. Um, you know, I I always remember um, mm-hmm. because my, my granddad died just over a year ago. Um, and a few months prior to him dying, um, I remember him getting the diagnosis of uh, cancer to the lung. And I remember, um, I can't remember if it was before or after we found out he had cancer, but we was watching a documentary on the telly um, of somebody in the Amazon rainforest. Um, And, you know, there was, um, it was about like these birds that live there that um, have a, play out a particular niche and it's like just very exotic a very lovely beautiful place and I remember my granddad saying why didn't I go out and do all that I would have mm-hmm. loved to have gone out and and done all of that and he he was saying that whilst um, <laughs> yeah. staring oblivion mm-hmm. in the face right um, and a few months later he was dead yeah and, that's why it's it seems um, sorry but it just seems like dramatic stuff about chasing your dreams and everything and it seems so cliche and dramatic but we have real life stories like the story you're telling right now that show us that these moments do happen people do lay on their deathbeds regretting everything like this is reality this isn't a lofty perspective or a grandiose or idealistic perspective of life like in in my opinion it's very it's very realistic uh, it's very realistic to combat the possibility that we're going to have these regrets like you said, it's like you've demonstrated, it's very real. Yeah. Yeah. And and one day a doctor is going to come up to us, like me and you and everyone listening. One day a doctor, unless life takes us by surprise and we die without knowing, but we're going to get right. told by a doctor one day, you've got three months. Mm. And, and it's when it happens, it's game over. And it's like you have to you have to make a choice every day, every morning um, to 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 live your best life, you know, and I know that I'm I'm spending um, four to five of my days a week right now working um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. for the man, Um, you know, working for the man as to say, but um, I know I'm not going to be there forever and I'm. I'm not, um, I'm not having luxuries like, um, like I'm not having a a flashy watch. I'm not, 
um, buying take. Okay, I did buy a takeaway last week, right. but I'm not getting takeout food every day, and I'm making sure that I I scrape scratch and save because um, I feel like when when the time comes when I think I could have, I don't want to think. Oh, I could have had three or four grand in my bank account right now. I want to get to that point and think, oh, what mm-hmm. should I do with this money? Let's buy a van and travel. Let's um, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's um, try and make a movie. Let's, you know, it's leverage that I can do. I can think, what can I do with this? And I might um, blow it all on a big project that completely fails, but at least I, I tried. And then I know what to do differently the next time. Or I know right. what I. It's better than doing nothing. Or just kind of it. leaning into your um, situation and yeah. Yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is is um. Changing your life is simply as changing your mindset. Maybe you have a a job right now. It might be a dead end job, but you've got to think: What am I working towards? All you've you got to do is look at that. Um, flag in the in the golf um, pocket that flag on the golf course all you got to do is just in the distance pinch that flag move it along a little bit like say 20 30 meters to the left or to the right or back or forth and just plop it back in the ground on a bit of green that you want to get to or would prefer to be because like where you're going to be in three years time, five years time, 10 years time. That's such a huge pivot that it could literally be um, the difference between Mm. right now watching telly or reading a book Um, or, okay. If you don't want to read a book, it could be the difference of programs you watch on TV. You might want watch an inspiring Ted talk or, you might watch um, a games show to see if um, to see if Karen can win a holiday by answering a, yeah. a question correctly. It's tiny habits, tiny habits, and tiny you changes know, are what make for monumental shifts. Like people can't change their lives overnight, but they can change what they do in the morning, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I want to quickly get back on topic. One thing I wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. So your name's Harlequin Grimm. And uh, so oh. do you um, sort of identify as <laughs> No, I just as identify as a, as a man. <laughs> or, um... Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I, I mean, like, um, if, if, if you... Um, lived in the ages of, of the, the Harlequins and the Jokers, would you, do you think that you would be the Harlequin? Oh, would that be your um, uh, occupation? Yeah, so perhaps it would. Speak? Perhaps it would, actually. Yeah. And, and sort of describe to me the um, the roles or ambitions of of what a um, harlequin is and why um 
I suppose why you chose that name, if that's to do, if is is it to do with anything? Why you chose that name? Um, why not um, Jester or right. or um, mm-hmm. I can't yeah, think no, of I any see what you're other um, characters at the moment. Well, I, I picked it because, like I said, well, not like I said, but kind of sort of as you were saying, um, like why didn't I pick Jester? Well, it's because it it just simply doesn't really sound like a name. So there's there's synonyms and different archetypes for like the clown or the fool um, or the harlequin. And I felt like the harlequin actually sounded like an actual name. You know, people call me Quinn or Harley. And so that, that actually fits a little bit better. So I don't want to be, com- I don't want to completely ostracize myself from people by giving myself something com- completely unrecognizable. But I feel like Harlequin is, it's close enough to normal, you know, to be passable as like a, a name, even though it's strange. So I, and it also just fit. Like I, it was one of those things where I thought of it kind of in a, in a random moment. And I thought, oh, that's perfect. Like that kind of, even just the way it sounds kind of suits me as a person. So um, yeah, it was a preference thing. Yeah, and and I I I find it interesting that um the the characters um you say they're archetypal um or archetypal I don't know how mm. you would pronounce it but they're um, based on archetypes. So, what is the um what what do you think are the sort of archetypes that are portrayed by the different um the different characters uh and yeah of course do you I, find I do, any um, value in, in i that? think they they portray a lot of uh a character of of passion and sort of chaotic energy some somebody or an individual who's willing to forego a lot of um let's say reason and kind of act out from the heart or sense of creativity and uh, just like the uh, the fool card in the tarot decks was a, a big inspiration for me when i was uh, a teenager and the symbolism in that card i thought was really beautiful it shows somebody holding a flower at the edge of a cliff and they're about to fall off and there's a dog barking at them and so the way that i interpreted that card was that they're so focused on something that they find beautiful or alluring about life that they're walking forward something, walking towards something that will cause them some pain. And despite the precautions of the environment around us or the the signs of the signs around us telling us not to walk forward, uh, we do anyways because we're sort of committed to this recognition of beauty and creativity that's sort of what the dog represents is somebody or a sign telling you that it's not necessarily rational so i think the job of the clown or the fool or the jester or the harlequin is to be willing to act and dress and speak in a certain way that is antithetical to normal acting or speaking um and by doing that, they do a lot of things. They, they entertain people, but they also are a vector for questions. People can ask questions about 
meanings in their lives uh, through them and what is actually valuable in life. And so I was drawn by all of those things. And uh, I thought that basically I don't necessarily act or speak in a certain way that that is entertainment or that is a form of clowning. But I do feel like my entire life and what I'm doing with my life sort of is just by taking the risks that I take and doing the things that I do. So that's um, that's the overarching idea of it. Yeah. So it's like all of the, um, I suppose, archetypes presented by the the fool and the joker are rolled into one human, and that one human is the hu- the universal human. Um, and you find. I can't remember the point that I was I was aiming to get to. Um, but no, I I really find that interesting. Um, what what you've said, I. Um, it's also very um, how do I say very a lot for me to take in. I think that's why I'm having trouble thinking what to say right now because that's just a lot of information for me to take in. And um, I'm I'm like mm. trying to work it all out in my head. Um. So you've um, what is it your? Mm-hmm. So I know you've got your um, podcast right now too. So your and your writing and everything. Is there any major projects right now or coming up? Or anything uh, that no, you've got I'm, on the horizon. Not really. I'm, like I'm really excited about. for my podcast, and I I like it when people come around and and check it out. I think people enjoy it quite a bit. Um, so I'm always I'm always sort of advertising that uh, the Mania podcast. But right now I'm querying a novel that I that I wrote out to agents and publishers. So I'm trying to get that the book traditionally published, and that takes some time. So I don't have any big announcements for that book yet until I get some big news um, sometime in the future. Uh, so right now it's just kind of what I do on a day-to-day basis. Sure. Um, so you haven't thought about self self-publishing. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I have a, thought about I it and I, I was going quickly. to, and then I decided not to actually. Oh, it's a huge, it's a huge is there any reason of, why or is it it's a just huge box of answers i mean i'll try to condense it but um basically yeah self-publishing can only is great it's great for someone like me um who has an audience already and has people as readers and listeners and, and people who are enthusiastic about my work who would be willing to buy the book and support it that'd be great um so it'd be great for me but at the same time it also wouldn't get the book perhaps as far as it could go. So if I got a, a publishing deal with a bigger company, then they would exactly, you know, I could get it out to with the know, connections, thousands, maybe millions of more people. And yeah, it's not necessarily about the success, but it's about giving myself an actual platform for which I can um, start doing more projects that I'm ambitious about that aren't involving 
what I do now um, with my limited resources. So it's about giving it a fair shot, really, is what it's about. And so in that sense, um, I'm willing to be patient and take sure. the risk that it won't work out. And then maybe I'll self-publish anyways. But until then, I'm willing to take the risk of just waiting and trying. So, yeah. Yeah. I think waiting isn't always a risk. I think um, waiting is smart, you know. Um, it's like if a snake is trying to catch a mouse, it wouldn't just sliver right up to it. That's you know, excellent. Yeah. You know, I do think of myself as a venomous exact snake right moment. sometimes, so I'm glad, glad you brought that up. <laughs> oh, oh cool. I was just joking. Um, in in what way kidding. do you think? No, it's I'm, a nice I'm image. I like it. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I was, was lucky. Um, I was very intrigued yeah. by that. Like, wow, that opens yeah. up a whole another bunch of questions. <laughs> um, so to wrap up, I'd like to basically give you the opportunity to mention um, about your podcast, Mania, which I'm sure anyone who's listened to this is now very intrigued yes yeah, thank and you um so, so what Mania is, it is a history podcast it? so all the stories on it have at least a, a solid dose of truth to it with all the historical individuals and events being factual and basically i'll weave these events and individuals together to create a single cohesive story for each episode so that you can follow an antagonist or a villain or a murderer in um a few weeks or months of their very exciting life so it's called the Mania Podcast, and you can find it on every major platform, or you can go to harlequingrim.com and find all the links there, any of the requisite things you'd need to um, subscribe to it or even just give it a shot. And that's about it. Yeah, it's harlequin.grim. That's Grimm, awesome. And um, so is my Twitter. And your Instagram account, just Harlequin is... Grimm, actually. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Harley Quinn, it has mm, been, it's been such a treat for me as well. So thank you so much. The podcast today. Um, and oh, for you, because right. you're in the UK, so right? For me, I'm thinking about getting dinner yeah. on the go. So I would say good evening. I am, yeah, yeah. in the Pacific Northwest, um, so in Oregon. Where, are you of on the, United the West Coast? Mm -hmm. Oregon. Okay, cool. Um, I don't know why, but I just <laughs> cool. sort of pictured you in in New York. Um, but th that's only because uh, uh, I have mm. a friend in who lives in England who's from New York. Um, so maybe it's just uh, <laughs> Amer being, racist against my mind Americans. being a bit racist and going, oh, they're all no. from New York. <laughs> um, so... Anyway, um, I hope you have a lovely day, and um, oh, thank yeah. you ever pleasure. so much thank for being you, Sam. on have this a great podcast. Evening. It's been a real treat having you. <laughs> thank you. Um, you too, but um, have a great morning. That is all for today. Please don't forget to subscribe so you can um, be tuned in to my next episode. Also, don't forget to check me out on Instagram. 
That is Sam underscore Germain. That is at Sam underscore G-E-R-M-A-I-N-E, Sam. You can go on there and comment on my posts and let me know what you think of this episode and previous episodes and, of course, the ones to come. I hope you have a splendid day and, once again, Happy New Year. I don't think I said Happy New Year yet, so it's not once again. It's the first time of 2021. Happy New Year and I hope your year is blessed. Namaste.